And friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, this morning, we're reading verses 17 to 18, uh, focusing just on two verses. Uh, the sermon is entitled, Earthly Affliction and Eternal Glory. And so uh, today, we're going to finish chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. And that's actually going to conclude our time in this book for this season. Uh, starting next week, for the next several weeks until my sabbatical in the middle of February, uh, we're going to be in a shorter series. And so we're going to end uh, our time in 2 Corinthians here uh, by looking at chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Um, one way that we continue to um, worship the Lord, even in our scripture reading, is that we stand uh, we do this as an act of worship. And so I invite you, if you're able, please stand with me. Uh, standing shows our reverence for God, for we know that these are not just words written by man, but God's words given to us for our very good as the food we eat and the light by which we see. So hear it now, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. And would you pray with me once more? Oh, Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear what you have to say and the ways in which it comes to us uh, right where we are uh, in the nitty-gritty of our lives. Help us to see um, that your words are words of life and words of truth, words we need to hear and words we need to live by. So help us to receive it, Lord, as you desire us to receive it so that it would do its work in us by your Spirit's power. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, the main theme of 2 Corinthians has been summed up in our series titled Grace for the Week. And we've been saying for the last several weeks that 2 Corinthians is a book about weakness, about human limitations, about suffering, and about afflictions. Um, but anyone who hears these things realizes that those aren't just the themes of 2 Corinthians, they're actually the themes of our lives. The Christian message, therefore, is not a message that's giving you steps to avoid suffering or to manage suffering. The Christian message is a message that teaches us how to endure through suffering. After all, these things are unavoidable in our lives. The good news is the good news given to us to help us to navigate life as we walk through treacherous and tumultuous waters and, and take paths that often lead us through forests and down into valleys. Paul, in our passage today, gives us uh, one really helpful encouragement, one way that we as a people can persevere through suffering without growing weary and without growing discouraged. And the way he does it is he causes us to have an eschatological perspective. Now, that's a big word, a bit of a fancy word, but Eschatology or eschatological simply refers to the last things or the final things. 
Now, don't let that word turn you off. Uh, eschatology, or your view of the last things, your view of future and final things, has a tremendous way of affecting your life. It's tremendously practical because all of us, in one way or another, we are eschatological creatures, meaning that the, we, the way we live our present lives is, to some degree, directed and affected by what we believe about the future, what's coming on the horizon. Our beliefs about the last things have a way of informing the way we behave among the present things. I'll give you a, an example. Uh, a few weeks ago at our CG, and we have uh, some singles, we have some married folk and, and uh, parents of young children. Um, we were having dinner and uh, one of the parents was struggling to get their child to, to finish their dinner. In fact, they wouldn't even eat more than two or three bites. Not until the magic word was said. Ice cream? <laughs> There's ice cream coming? And as soon as ice cream was introduced, the kid began to eat more and more of the plate, started to sit more and more still. Why? Because they are eschatological they knew that something coming up was worth enduring in the present. Something they believed about the future changed something about their behavior in the present. And essentially, that's what Apostles, Apostle Paul is telling us today in our passage. He's saying you need an eschatological perspective on your view and your suffering. You need to believe something about what's coming up so that it can have an effect on what is present. And what Apostle Paul says this morning in our passage is that you must see your earthly afflictions in this life through the lens of an eternal glory that's awaiting you. You know, some of you have shared uh, various concerns uh, with myself and, and other elders, and we pray with burdened hearts for you. But, you know, I know that there are plenty of things, many things that you suffer privately and that you endure secretly. There are things that everyone's enduring that others don't know about and that you battle alone. We all endure various trials, go through different kinds of fires. And if this is you this morning, what word of encouragement might the Lord have for you? What's this? Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary and discouraged don't be overwhelmed. Don't give up the fight. Don't throw in the towel. Don't call it quits. Why? Don't lose heart. Why? Paul says in verse 17, for the reason, because this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, what Paul is encouraging us to do is to view our present afflictions from an eschatological perspective, from the reality of a future glory. Because it works something like this. If you know what's coming, if you know what will soon be yours, you can be a little more patient now. You can hold on a little bit longer. You can pull through even the hard things because you are so certain that one day all of life's experience will give way to a greater glory. Now, nobody here came to church because you wanted to be discouraged. All of you came here to take heart, not to lose heart. But the things we take heart in must be things that are grounded in truth. 
The message of Christianity is not if you follow the Lord, he will remove affliction from your life or he will remove you from affliction. Actually, the truth of the gospel is not a very good message to sell. A few verses earlier, you know what Apostle Paul had said? An astounding statement where he said, we carry in our bodies the death of Jesus. And what he meant by that is when you're united to Jesus by faith, sure, you're going to be united to him in glory, but that means here on this earth, you are united to him in a life of suffering and affliction. There's no promise in the Christian life that the road ahead of you will be easy and convenient and comfortable. Now, again, I know this sounds like a terrible sales pitch for the message of the gospel, and yet somehow Christianity presents forth good news. Now, how is that possible? What about this is good? Well, it's found in this promise. The promise is this, this earthly life will give way to eternal life and your present affliction will give way to future glory. This earthly life will give way one day to eternal life and your present affliction will give way to future glory. All that you've endured in this life is like riding in the sand at the beach. But one day the tide of God's glory will come and wash it all away. Every pain and anguish and loss you've endured Earthly affliction will give way to eternal glory forever. Now, Apostle Paul is qualified to speak about this because we know he was a man who endured and suffered a slew of adversities in his life, from physical to emotional, spiritual to relational and mental. He was a man well acquainted with sorrows and suffering. And so it's actually from a deep place of personal experience that he writes the words in verse 17. When he said, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul is so convinced of this glory to come, this eschatological hope, that it causes him to reinterpret his present afflictions. And he uses two adjectives to describe them. The first is that he calls these afflictions light. Now, when he calls the afflictions light, he's not calling them easy. He's not saying that they're no big deal. That would be extremely insensitive of Paul. Because if you got in a room with him and you really told him the things going on in your life, the things going on in your family, there's no way he would call them light. But that's not what Paul's doing. He's calling them light, not because he's downplaying their severity or the variety of sufferings. He's calling them light because he's comparing the lightness of afflictions to the weight of glory. Now, what he's doing here is he's, enter, he's, he's introducing a subjective element. He's not saying there's an objective standard and afflictions that are under here are not that bad and afflictions that are above here are really bad. What he's doing is he's introducing a subjective element. He's saying that if you know what's upcoming, if you experience something of the weight to come, something of the present experience becomes light. Now think about it like if you had a three-pound kitten on your chest. I mean, three pounds is, is, is barely anything. It wouldn't feel like anything. You would hardly notice it was there. But substitute that three-pound uh, kitten for 
you know, a 250 pound adult man sitting on your chest, all of a sudden that would just feel like it's crushing your sternum. And yeah, maybe survivable, but certainly uncomfortable, definitely heavy. We'll substitute that 250 pound grown adult for a 2,500 pound cow who just pumps right down on your chest. The weight of that, everyone experiencing the weight of that crushing upon your sternum would make you all agree, oh yeah, that 250 pound guy on my chest, that's light. Paul is saying that relative to the weight of glory to come, earthly afflictions will be light. But here's the thing you must know. You won't experience the lightness of earthly afflictions until you know something of the weight of glory. You have to experience something of the weight of this glory in order to experience something of the lightness of the afflictions. Because without the hope of the weight of glory to come, what is difficult and painful in this life, it will crush you. It will consume you. Your eyes will grow dim and your heart grow weary and your body will grow tired. Because if all you know is the weight of present afflictions, they will make your life feel like a living hell. But taste and see the weight of the glory awaiting you. And what God has in store, suddenly the afflictions become a little lighter. Now Paul applies that same kind of logic when he then uses this second adjective and describes the afflictions as momentary. Now, how long is momentary? That's the big question. Have you ever had to call, I don't know, a doctor's office, customer service, you're changing your internet, and now everything is automated. And they tell you, you know, please say your name. And you're like, you know, Andrew Kim. And they're like, Andrea Schwimmen. You're like, Andrew Kim. And you're, and you're really trying to articulate it. And then you finally get through, and then they say to you, a representative will be with you momentarily. Well, how long is momentarily? Now, we all have an understanding of that. We all have a threshold, right? Because at some point, momentarily is going to become too long. You're going to, your blood, you know, your blood pressure through the roof. You're going to get so angry, you're going to hang up. What is momentary? You see, when Paul says our afflictions are momentary, well, how long is momentary, Paul? Because I know from personal experience some of the afflictions I've endured, momentary is not an adjective I would use to describe them. Some of the things that you've endured are things that you endure for months, some for years. In fact, many of them are things you endure for an entire lifetime, things that never let up or go away. You see, it's precisely those things that are sticking with you. It's the permanence of suffering that makes you despair, makes you languish, become bitter or angry, hopeless. You know, Apostle Paul endured something like this himself. Yeah, sure, he endured many uh, physical afflictions. He was falsely accused in many ways, but he talks about later in this book, a very specific affliction he endured. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. 
Now, we're not exactly sure what that is, but the point is, Paul says that he experienced this thorn in the flesh, and he prayed to God that the Lord would remove it. And he prayed again and again and again, but the Lord didn't remove it. And so it was with him his entire life. And that speaks to some of the realities that many of you here are enduring, that there are afflictions in your life that Paul dares to call momentary, but you know are far more permanent than that. And some of you live with a physical injury or a disease, a condition that'll never go away, severely impacted your daily life. That's not momentary. Some of you have experienced the loss of a loved one and you grieve daily in light of that. You're not going to get them back. How is that momentary? Some of you live deeply afflicted by relational strife, family dysfunction, abusive parents, wayward, lost children, and there seems to be no hope. That doesn't seem momentary. Many go their whole lives living in poverty or struggling for financial stability, living in constant debt, always on the fear of bankruptcy. That doesn't seem momentary. Some of you go your entire lives waiting for that big break to come your way, and it doesn't seem to come. Opportunities continue to pass you and pass you. And whereas everyone else is moving upward and forward, you're still where you were. That doesn't seem momentary. See, the thing is, in real life, there are victories and there are celebrations and things that we praise God for, but life is also marked by all kinds of things that we have to live with and that are permanent. So how in the world can Paul call our afflictions momentary? It seems to me like he's a big liar, that he's being dishonest. And we realize that he's not because Paul's perspective isn't fanciful or wishful. Paul's perspective is eschatological. You see, what lasts a lifetime in this present age is, in fact, momentary. It's nothing but a breath in the wind when compared to the eternity that awaits us. You see, only in the light of the eternal weight of glory are present afflictions going to be experienced as momentary. Friends, do you have a hope of this kind of eternity? Because it's only then that the harshest, most severe things that you experience, you realize are lasting no longer than the blink of an eye. It's caught up in the eternal glory God has prepared for you. Now, some of you are in valleys that you've been in for a very long time. Some of you have been in the furnace, and you can't even remember when you entered into it. Some of you are currently enduring things that you know, you see, this will permanently alter the course of my life. And when all you can measure are these things against the span of your own lifetime, they will seem forever. But only when you measure them against the span of eternity can you experience them as momentary. You see, this is how Paul is able to say to you this morning, don't lose heart. Friends, don't call it quits quite yet. Press on. Don't grow faint-hearted. 
because of the promise of the gospel. The eternal weight of glory coming our way is that earthly afflictions are light and momentary. But not only that, Paul goes one step further and he gives us a third reason not to lose heart. We got to revisit verse 17 for this. Let me read it again. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, you see that word prepare can also be translated as produce or to bring about. And what Paul is saying here is that this is not just an issue of, of chronological order. He's not just saying afflictions precede glory. He's bringing a logical connection. He's saying afflictions produce glory, which means our earthly afflictions are the raw materials that God chooses to use to bring about glory for you. Now really stop and think about what that means. That distinction is important. Afflictions don't precede glory. Afflictions produce glory. Because if they merely precede glory, then the Christian message is something like this. We live life in a broken, fallen world where you endure all kinds of hardships and adversities. But in the end, all of it is going to be swept under a rug. It's not going to matter because God is going to bring us to glory. And so that was, you could just forget about it. Well, if you think about it in that way, that means suffering is meaningless. Uh, yes, suffering is momentary compared to, compared to the eternal way, but, but it means it's meaningless. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying an entirely different thing here, where he's saying the afflictions you endure in life are the very things God is using to bring about the glory that he's preparing for you. Which means if God uses those earthly afflictions to produce eternal glory, there is nothing meaningless about the things you undergo. No loss, no pain, no misery, no tears shed, no turmoil, no adversity. Nothing you endured will ever be incidental or unnecessary or wasted. No suffering you face in this life will be meaningless. Now, I need to clarify that because I think sometimes Christians, when they hear, oh, no suffering will be meaningless, what they tend to do is to take some suffering you've experienced and try to create a one-to-one -one correspondence with some good that's going to come out of it. Don't we tend to do that? Like you stub your toe and you fracture it and you have to call out of work and oh, now that trip that you plan to go uh, on the weekend, you can't go there, but you know, oh God, why did you allow this affliction to come? And then you find out, oh, at that restaurant where you had reservations, there was a kitchen fire and people were severely injured. And oh, praise God that I stubbed my toe because he saved me from a fire. And we tend to draw these one-to-one -one correspondences with afflictions we endured for meaningfulness in our lives. The problem, of course, with that is when you can't find that connection, then you wonder what is the point. You get angry and upset and bitter at God for the meaninglessness of all these things. That's not a helpful way to view this. Instead, to say that earthly afflictions produce eternal glory works in the same way that all the puzzle pieces work together to contribute to the whole, to make the picture complete. I mean, some of you put together puzzles, don't you? I mean, think about a thousand piece puzzles. Now, the really hard ones, like half of it is just the sky, so it's just blue. And so if you have a thousand piece puzzle, you're going to have like 150 blue pieces. And if you look at each individual piece, they're just blue. There's nothing in it that gives an indication of where it belongs. The only difference is that they're in various shapes and sizes. 
And yet, if you look at those blue pieces, those 150 blue pieces, you can't immediately discern how this contributes, what place this has, the meaning, the sense of it. You see, it's only after you finish the puzzle and you step back do you see that every piece had its place, that every piece contributed to the whole. And at the end of it, praise the Lord, you're not left with five extra pieces that you were laboring for hours. Where does this fit? Only to conclude, actually, it has no place. These were just extra. These are just wasted. These are unnecessary. So it is with the afflictions you endure in this life. There are two certainties. One, all the suffering you endure, the afflictions of this life are preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. They all contribute to the whole and the glory that God is bringing you into. Second, that means no affliction will be left out. At the end of this life, there'll be nothing that you'll look back on your life for and go, what was the purpose of that? No loss endured, no grief experienced, no tragedy suffered that won't make you experience a greater glory as a result. Now, of course, by sight, the things that you go through, by sight, they may seem meaningless and senseless, which is why Paul calls us not to live by sight, but by faith. He says it in the very next verse, in verse 18, when he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's calling us to live with eschatological hope, to look to the things not seen, but to the things unseen. Now, how does that make sense? Like, how do you see the things that are unseeable? Do you close your eyes? Do you imagine things? In the midst of suffering, how do you look to the things that are unseen? Well, Paul here gives us a clue when he tells us the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal things, heavenly things are the unseen things. So if we were to cast our eyes upon the unseen things, where do we look? Well, the answer, a very helpful example of this comes from the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we're introduced to a man named Stephen. And Stephen is a godly, faithful man. And in his service and faithfulness to the Lord, he endures much earthly affliction. If you remember, he's arrested by the Jewish authorities. They set up false accusations and false witnesses against them. And they sentence him to death by stoning. And as Stephen is enduring this, as a righteous, upstanding, blameless Man, enduring these afflictions, he's being prepared to be led out of the city and stoned to death. Here's what we read in Acts 7, verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the midst of affliction, Stephen looked at the unseen things. He gazed into heaven, and there in heaven he saw the glory of God evidenced in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you look at the unseen things, to gaze into heaven and see the glory of God shining most brilliantly in the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus. How does the hope of what's to come break into the present? How do we live in this kind of final future hope? It's to look at the one, the one who has come. 
the one from heaven, the one of glory, Jesus Christ himself, the one who actually came already. And he endured a life of earthly affliction, suffering in every way imaginable until his death on a cross, wherein he was pierced for your sins and mine. And the Savior not only died for you, but he was raised on the third day. Now, why is that important? Because when he was raised on the third day, where did he go? To heaven. Where he is now preparing this eternal weight of glory for you to receive one day when you join him. You see, our confidence in this final future hope is not found in the things that we can secure, but in Christ Jesus who has gone before us, entered into glory so that he might usher you and welcome you one day into it as well. You see, friends, if you look for meaning that you can conclude and discover on your own to explain this life, there are going to be countless times that you lose heart when you can't find any. When you look to things seen, the present afflictions will always appear too great and too many. So we look to the things unseen. We look into heaven where we see the glory of God shown to us in the face of the Lord Jesus. And in him, the sufferings of this age become light and momentary. The Puritan Thomas Watson once said, affliction may be lasting, but it is not everlasting. There is only one thing everlasting. And that's sharing in eternity with God and the glory that he's preparing for you. So we don't lose heart. Let's pray.